Welcome to Polycast, a civilization podcast focused on game strategy. Canis Albinas. Makalua. The Man Team. Mega Bears Fan. Yeah. Well, plus YouTube covering their own legally, of course. And there goes the family friendly level. I guess I have to actually press the start streaming button, huh? Oh, and and actually, oops. Well then, shall we begin? Excelsior. Whee! Welcome, at least one and all, to Polycast episode 417. I'm the main team, joined by Canis Albinus. Hope it's more than just one. Makalua. Delay in starting brought to you by Where's My Glasses? And Mega Bears fan. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure it's usually less than one, so one's pretty good. It's not true. We have at least ourselves, so it's one plus. Unless we're actually all just one caster changing our voice as we go. I mean, somebody left a comment on our video five months ago, and uh, hey. it was one of the old season one episodes, and it's uh, it looks like a cursive, um, potentially uh, Cyrillic word. So I don't know what to say about that. Nice. Viewership. Can a browser translate that? Probably. Uh, I don't think it's actually Cyrillic. I think it's just like wingdings or something. Because it doesn't really look like letters that I recognize, but I also don't recognize all the Russian letters. So <laughs> There's some guy out there just posting wingding comments that are like relatively nice or like in-depth strategy, but all in wingdings. Nice. Is wingdings That'd even an active font anymore? I don't know. It's been years since I tried to put anything in wingdings. Is that actually how you pronounce it? Because I've always called it windings. <laughs> I mean, they were two words. It was two words when I was a kid. So, like, it was the word wing with a space and then D-I-N-G-S. Wingdings so like, oh. are a I, I series. I called it wingdings. Wingdings are a, is a series of dingbat fonts developed in 1990 <laughs> by Microsoft by, complaining, by combining glyphs and Lucida icons, arrows, stars licensed by... <laughs> Charles Bigelow and Chris Holmes. <laughs> None of kids. the characters were mapped to Unicode at the time, although they were added to Unicode in 7.0. <laughs> what is a dingbat font? Uh, apparently that's an example of one. A dingbat font, sometimes known as a printer's ornament, or more formally as a printer's character, is an ornament, specifically a glyph used in typesetting, often employed to create box frames or similar Brock's drawing characters, or a dinkus. Show you a dinkus. Man, I love, when, I love when definitions of words are recursive, and you just have to look up the definition of half of the definitions in the word. No, yeah. a, a dinkus. Nice a dinkus is something else. It is a section divider, usually a, a horizontal row of three spaced asterisks between sections in a book. So if I'm understanding this correctly, a dingbat font would be like those big fancy scripty letters that are like at the start of a paragraph in a page of like some old timey renaissance or medieval book. Um, am, am I am I understanding that correctly? Or am sort I just of. Way off? Uh, the most common examples of dingbats include an airplane, a Mercedes symbol, a, an envelope, several versions of the scissors, check marks, X's, crosses um crusader icons the star of david the suits in uh playing cards the most basic smiley faces various colors of stars filled in circled and whatnot shaded boxes 
and other common shapes as well as pictorial versions of quotation marks. And now you tune into print. Yeah. <laughs> there, uh, yeah, there's like four different varieties of cross and then the Star of David and nothing else in the religion section. So I guess we can figure out who made that. I guess that's why they are part of Unicode, but not all of Unicode. Anyway, we should start talking about Civ. Yeah, especially since we have a relatively uh, newsy topic for a change on it. Pretty yeah, important it's, one. It's too bad there's not more uh, information about it. But anyway, uh, 2K uh, announced recently that they're hiring a new uh, games chief operating officer for Firaxis Studios, uh, Heather Hansen. Heather Hazen, sorry, will be the new studio head at Firaxis. And um, the old studio head who'd been there for, according to this, a couple decades, Jake Solomon, uh, is leaving. And uh, I don't know what he's going and doing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we've got a new head studio. Uh, so she is formerly... Hold on a, a- second. Um, okay. I-, I don't want to interrupt, but there were several things that you misstated there. Oh, okay. Um, Heather Hazen, who has been promoted to studio head, is was formerly the Firaxis chief operating officer head. The previous uh, 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 game, oh shoot, studio head was a guy that was named, oh shoot, what's his name? Why do I always do this? Uh, Dave something? He's been, he's basically been at Firaxis since... Or no, Steve Martin, who has been there for 25 years, which means he's probably been there since almost the beginning of Firaxis as a studio. Ah, yes, you're right. I see now. Jake Solomon was the uh, creative director, not studio head. Different job titles. My mistake. Jake Solomon was the former former creative director for the XCOM franchise and Marvel's Midnight Suns and has announced that he's leaving the studio after two decades at the studio. Uh, He says that he's... Happy to have been there, and he's glad that he was there, but it's time to move on. Ed Beach will continue as creative di- creative director for the forthcoming Civilization games. Um, he's been working Which on Which is interesting, because I think this is going to be the first time we've ever had two mainline Civ games that had the same uh, you know, lead uh, designer. Uh, Soren Johnson was for Civ 3 and Civ 4. Oh, was he? Yeah. Was he for Civ 3 vanilla or just the expansions? Uh, I believe it was uh, it was not from the very beginning of Civ 3, but it was somewhat into the development of it. And then uh, Ed Beach was in charge of everything after vanilla Civ 5 as well. So he's arguably already a double Civ lead. But anyway, back to what you were saying. Uh, yeah, that's what I get for just trying to skim through the news article like a minute before the show started. Uh, so uh, Heather Hazen is uh, was formerly a uh, executive producer for the Fortnite uh, game at Epic Studios or Epic Games and also uh, was involved with Plants vs. Zombies and 
Bejeweled uh, at PopCap Games. So uh, she's been in the industry for quite a while. Uh, not sure if Epic Games is my favorite uh, company in the world, but... The sound of booing and hissing can be heard in the background. <laughs> Everybody got to start somewhere. Sometimes you don't get to pick. Yeah, yeah you're yeah, talking before the show a little bit, and I don't know that involvement with Fortnite is necessarily uh, a bad thing. <laughs> I mean, if she tries to bring those practices into Civ, it would be awkward unless they go free to play. But uh, Fortnite itself has a lot of good features to it. So, And as- she's also been with Firaxis as the chief operating officer for, you know, since at least 2020. So, you know, she's been there for a while now. Yeah, I don't know. If I uh, type in her name, I immediately get mainline civilization game. So she's already been strongly associated with with uh, Firaxis, which is fine. Oh, apparently the fifth result is 1940 census results for Heather Hazen. So I'm not sure what that means. 40s? Yeah. This is not the for same person. Or something. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. Okay, so there's not a whole lot of information about her on the internet that's easily accessible without me digging into people's profiles, which I don't want to do live on it. So yeah, we'll 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 try not to hold the Epic Games experience uh, against her. Uh, we'll see what um, what Firaxis does with their games from here on out, and uh, you know maybe they'll turn out really well. Maybe they won't. Maybe uh, everything will be just fine. Let's hope so. It'll probably will. I'm sure it'll be fine. The other big news, I don't actually see it referenced in this particular news article um, you linked, Canis, but uh, the other news over the weekend or over the past few days was uh, that 2K or Firaxis confirmed that they are working on their next big game and that it is probably Civilization 7. Did they say that it was probably Civ 7 or did they just say the next iteration? Oh, gosh, I have to remember. I saw it in a tweet. Uh, and I don't remember the exact wording of the tweet, but I mean, everybody is like 99% confident that they're talking about Civilization 7. Yeah, here's the... Oh man, that'd be a troll though, if they're like doing something else. It's Beyond Earth (laughs) 2! Yeah. Here it is. I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to carry on the studio's storied legacy, beginning with the announcement that Firaxis is in development on the next iteration of the Legendary Civilization franchise. Yeah, so they did specifically say Civilization. So yeah. unless it's like Civ Rev 2 or Civ Rev 3. Or, or another yeah. colonization. Well. <laughs> Apparently Civ- I mean, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad game, but man, that'd be a pretty hefty troll. They're listing <laughs> the Civilization franchise as one of the highest selling and decorated franchises in gaming history with more than 65 million copies sold to date. Well, I think as well, the the hint, hint, wink, wink was, uh, if I remember correctly, there were seven exclamation marks at the end. And that was something that everybody kind of jumped onto and was like, oh, yes, it's definitely Civ 7. Well, I didn't Uh, because I didn't take the time to count the exclamation points because I have better things to do with my time. But that's pretty cool. I mean, I just I'm old. I'm sorry. Twitter feed. So, yeah, I'm old. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, okay, grandpa. Well, I, I'm used to being on the internet where if you have a bunch of exclamation points and there's no obvious reason why they should be there, I'm just going to ignore them as expended material because they're you only need one to get your point across. So I have to hold that key down. Extra emphasis. And it needs to be in all caps. 
Yeah. Oh, and you have to throw some ones in along with the exclamation point. And and some windings letters. Oh no. As well. <laughs> Callback. He's mispronouncing wingdings. No. Wingdings. Wingdingers. Why do I do this to myself? <laughs> <laughs> So the Sahara Dev or the Sahara leaders of the Sahara Pack came out. Uh, I want to say six days ago. We're recording this on the twenty fifth of February, so uh, it would have been the nineteenth of February, I believe. It came out. There was a live stream de- done by the devs on the Monday prior to that. So my math is holding out. That would be two days after the episode four sixteen was recorded by us. Thanks, guys. Uh, and Some things don't change. Yeah, this particular live stream, while interesting, sort of in its own right, was nowhere near as interesting as the first dev live stream they did with the leader pass because uh, they didn't really talk about anything to do with the game itself in terms of like where the studio is going and what's going on in the future or why they're even doing anything it was almost entirely focused on talking with the guy who is their in-game anthropologist and historian talking about why we picked these leaders and uh why they um get the powers they do and i as much as that's interesting because we did find out what all the leader abilities were i'm a lot less interested in that than i am interested about are we gonna get like good patches with real patch notes soon are we gonna get you know answers to all these problems that keep happening are we going to be able to play the game with our friends on linux anytime soon did the chat try to ask any of that i am i assume they did because it's twitch chat and youtube chat i was watching on youtube so i could only see uh the youtube stuff but they were largely ignoring the chat since it's the internet, I would presume that if there's an inconvenient question, someone would try to ask it. Well, Regardless yeah. of whether it's a good or bad question. They always ask that. Oh, here it is. February 16th, 2023. Update notes. There weren't any patch notes included with this update. Hmm. Whoops. See, I would be much happier if they just fixed the bugs. Mm, yeah, agreed. Yeah, but we kind of know at this point if they've got the new game even sort of softly announced like that, that they're going to resources have been diverted away from anything except absolute game crashing. People can't play it bugs, not just, Oh, a small percentage of the user base that uses Linux can't play it. Well, uh, Oh, well, uh, if you're advertising that it's playable on this platform, then it better be feature complete on that platform. Well, yeah, we did but... learn when uh, P- paradox kept cross platform multiplayer on the EU four store page, for the many, many years that that was impossible to use, that yeah. uh, the Securities and Exchange, or the, what is it, the Better Business Bureau or the Securities and Exchange Commission or whoever deals with that stuff doesn't seem to care. Yeah. Well, for one thing, it has to be reported to them by somebody. So if nobody ever bothered reporting it to any of these agencies, then they don't know about it. So it's true. But there are, it would also be harder in their case because they're not a U.S. company. Uh, Firaxis is. So. Yeah. They they would actually be beholden to that as well. Yeah, but Steam also is. So I would assume that if anything, they would make Steam, you know, take down whatever, you know, uh, marketing stuff is in the 
Steam page that's misleading or incorrect. That's true. That's true. I wonder if if Steam has any liability in that sort of thing for the uh, if uh, these game companies are falsely marketing features of their games on the Steam pages. I, I imagine if somebody like tried to return a game on the basis of that, that uh, Steam would have trouble refusing it. I doubt they would want to refuse it. Yeah, uh, but that would certainly get Steam's attention. So people were doing a whole bunch of like internal stuff, trying to find out undocumented changes in uh, this uh, update. And uh, there were a couple. Uh, they fixed a bug with Nadar Shah where like, oh, what what does it say? Uh, you, I don't remember. I can't read this because it was written in like non, I guess I should look on Civ Fanatics forum to see if they have it there. But it says they added opponent is not district to the requirements previously it was only opponent not wounded or player is attacker so i suppose nader shah also got plus 5 when attacking districts without the fix mm. see i read this earlier and i understood it earlier but now i don't understand it so uh why 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 is uh my brain deciding to be dumb i know because it's not important let's go on to the next topic Which is the actual pack itself. So we'd seen that in the preview before. We have Ramses. An agenda Ma'at clears all features and improves all possible tiles. Oh, he's gonna cl- oh he's gonna clear everything off. What? Here. Like civilizations with a high percentage of improved tiles, he dislikes civilizations with low percentage of improved tiles that found national parks. What wow. a jerk. Yeah, dude. New ability of Abu Simbel, which will gain culture equal to 15% of the construction cost when finishing buildings and 30% when completing one. Ooh, that's a lot of culture depending on some of the wonders. Although, obviously, that's going to scale better late game when you complete something that takes 10,000 hammers. Ooh, look, 10,000 culture. But in the late game, culture is not offensive. So it's like, hmm. it's a great defense against the culture victory. Nah, because you keep Honestly, in most games, like I'm, you know, spamming uh, new civics like every three turns anyway. So it's not really like the culture is all that important at that point. Oh, I guess there are those things that happen later in the game where it's like, oh, hey, uh, we're going to add like 50 percent of your culture to your tourism. So that would help there, I guess. Yeah. But like I said, when you're already like popping one of those every few turns, like, eh, does it really eh, matter that you're getting a little boost in culture? Late game culture policies could probably stand to be a little bit more expensive. Then again, I also play a culture heavy game, so maybe it just feels fast to me. It also requires that you're actually building those late game buildings, because for a lot of them, they might not even be worth the investment because, you know, the game's already so close to being over. They're not going to return an investment on the what you put into them. I got to do something with my extra hammers. Yeah, because there's sometimes when you get to the point that you don't need to build units. The, the question is, would you just be better served to just do the culture projects in the city at that point? I never thought of that, but uh, probably. Well, anyway, the ability lasts through the whole game, not just the end game. So Yeah, so early on, you could get ahead faster with your civics. You know, you could already be to, like, Merchant Republic while everybody else, long before anybody else, get to uh, having uh, civil service and, well, you don't make alliances with the AI very often. I'm thinking of multiplayer here. 
Yeah, I doubt it would make a big difference towards like getting the first government because at that point in the game, you're probably just placing your districts and aren't really putting any buildings in them. So unless you get maybe an early game wonder or two, mm -hmm. then maybe you get a nice, you know, boost towards getting your first government. But uh, I think it's it's mostly just going to be a mid-game uh, advantage. Well, there are some wonders you have to build early. Looking at you, Great Bath. Yeah, and even if you're going on a, if you wanted to take him on a conquest, it could push you to nationalism faster, and you could have armies out sooner. So, yeah, yeah, that 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 could work. It work better than you think in the mid, yeah, in the mid game. It's definitely not a bad ability. I just don't think it's one of the best. Uh, it needs more actual in-game playing for everybody to figure that one. Yeah, uh, I've been no lifing. Wrath of the Righteous, so I haven't been playing Civ. Well, also, just like, I don't think there's any other leaders that convert uh, production to culture in that particular way, so I just don't know what the uh, exchange rate is. You know what I mean? Like, how much is 15% of the construction cost of the building when converted to culture? I just don't know, because I haven't, it hasn't been relevant to any other leaders that I've played. Well, Yongle Ming has the thing where he can give projects to give 50% of your hammers to culture or something. But that's much l more limited than this is because with the hammers you're using to build the wonder, you're getting the bonus of the wonder plus the culture. So yeah. And the wonder is going to generate some culture as well too. Yeah. And, or other, uh, what would the term be? Fringe benefits? Sure. Yeah. I built the Terracotta Army. Now all my units get promoted to level one. Don't do that, by the way. You should at least have your units promoted at least once or twice before you build the Terracotta Army. Well, more importantly, you should just make sure you have units. <laughs> if a tiny standing army, don't build Terracotta. Yeah, if you're still running, like, the two warriors and slinger that you built at the start of the game just to fight off barbs and you build the Terracotta Army, you're probably doing it wrong. Or... Unless you're just trying to do it as a denial tactic. For somebody who has a large army. Or you're on Settler and you're building every wonder. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, there's always that. I'm build not every sure. Wonder challenge. I'm not sure that that's a legitimate challenge because I think there are too many wonders to effectively build them all. Well, more importantly, there's a lot of them that have very strict requirements that you're not necessarily likely to um, be able to meet in a single game. Like, you know, like if you need both desert you know, for certain wonders and, like, jungle for other wonders, like, you might not have both of those in your empire anyway, at least not at the time where you would be building the wonder. You should be able to have both of them unless you're, like, unlucky and don't get placed next to a river. I mean, I'm just throwing out an example, but there's, you know, or you don't have access to, like, stone or something like that. Like, like Stonehenge, I think, requires it be next to a stone deposit. Yeah, right. that, so if, if you don't flat land next to stone deposit, which doesn't always happen. Yeah. And then one of the strictest ones, I think, is, uh, oh, gosh, what is it? What is it called now? Like, it needs to be like on adjacent to a river, but also adjacent to like cattle. Uh, it's like the Great Market or something like that. I, I forget the, name the Great Zimbabwe. Yes, that's it. Yeah, it needs to be next to cattle and on a river. It needs to be on a river and next to a commercial hub. Was there something that required cattle? I could have swear there was something that needed to be next to cattle, too. Maybe there is. I don't know. There's so many of them, it's, it's hard to keep... Yeah, they keep adding more and more them. in every DLC, and I'm just like, guys, there's too many already. Uh, Civ 6, Wonder, Cattle. 
The Great Zimbabwe must be built adjacent to cattle. Ah. Huzzah, I was right. Yes, you is were right. Also, is it also next to a river and also next to a market? It must be built adjacent to cattle and a commercial hub with a market, so it doesn't require a river. Okay, I was just wrong about the river part. Still, you know, I'm not exactly like, you know, chomping at the bit to build markets next to all my cattle pastures. So it's, a, it's, a, it's one of those things where it's just, a, even if I'm planning for that wonder, it's a really easier requirement to just miss. And then it comes time to build the wonder. And I'm like, oh, crap, I didn't build a, <laughs> I didn't build a uh, commercial hub next to any of my cattle, even if I had the cattle, the space to do it. At least um, with wonders like that, it's rare that the AI can steal it because it'd have to get lucky. The Great Zimbabwe was uh, one uh, was according to legend where the laborers for King Solomon's mines were, which would be interesting considering where it is. Anyway, who's our next leader, Mackie? <clears throat> Ptolemaic Cleopatra. Janda's oh dear, his name Basiliki, but she tries to build up food and like civilizations that also focus on food. New ability is the arrival of Happy, but resources along floodplains receive plus one food and plus one culture. Gets plus one appeal on the floodplains instead of the standard negative one. That's uh, nice. Yeah, the food and culture is definitely going to, particularly the food. If you're already getting, if you've already got something like floodplain and there's, well, not usually corn, not I don't know, but if you have a food resource on a floodplain and then you add that and you add the culture. You're going to focus more. The city's going to grow faster and they're going to boom out. And also not having the negative one on the floodplains. If you're trying things like building national parks, which her friend doesn't like. And I said more appeal in general. I love national parks, except for the one in my state. <laughs> well, I also love to build them in the game, which means I'm probably not going to get along with Ramses in too many games that I play against him. But whatever. Again, that's a late game thing anyway. So at that point, I, I either he either hates me or loves me already anyway. Ramses has a really big nose. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if there's much yeah, more to add to that. She's just yeah, she's, focused, going to she, boom out her cities really fast. And, and also worth noting that the Egyptian unique improvement is the Sphinx, which you also build on floodplains and which provides culture and faith. So Pretty nice. So we got one last leader from this pack. Yeah, for the Mali, King Sundiata Keita. Sundiata Keita, I believe. Keita, Keita. Almost there. Uh, agenda is Lion of Mali. He wants to be the civilization with the most tourism and dislikes those who compete in tourism. We hope you're not going for a culture victory against him. New ability, Sogolon, costs 20% less gold to recruit great people, and the market gains two great writing slots. And great works of writing receive plus four gold and plus two production. Ah, that's why you put the right writing slots on the market. Yeah. Uh, this... Uh, I, I like this guy's the cut of his jib because I like making great works and writing is always the one I have the most of because, you know, it's just it's the first one that's available, which means you get a ton of them and there's not always a place to put the great works of writing. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of the uh, Congolese ability because they also get uh, production or yields from uh, great works. Yes. Except for Congo, I think it's faith, maybe. No, it's food and production. And faith and gold. Jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah, Congo gets lots of stuff from uh, relics specifically, I think. Yeah, that's right. They have to be relics. Yeah. Um, so this one at least will be a lot easier and more reliable to get, especially early game, unlike Congo, where you have to get like a lucky roll on a, uh, 
booty hut or something to get an early game relic. I remember uh, Mad Jin was doing a Congo LP and he got five relics in his capital and it was giving him something like uh, 9,000 faith every turn because it was bugged. <laughs> this was right when so Civ sure. 6 came out. And uh, he ended the LP at that point because it was like, okay, this is w ridiculous. Yeah. Because it's like, what are you going to do? You can't play that because it's no longer... The game gave you a cheat code, basically. The game gave you 9,000 faith a turn. That's more faith than I think is normally possible to get per turn. But yeah, but they, I, I like that it goes together. Synergy type of thing. You do that, you get that policy that increases all of your yields and stuff by 100% in the commercial districts, and it's just going to go insane. The amount of money and the extra production. It's going to be real frustrating to play against this guy if you want to be... Uh recruiting great people because he gets that 20 percent uh discount yeah recruitment i guess it's only for the gold purchase yeah but, but either way yeah. but he gets tons of gold so yeah right. it's yeah, molly yeah. so yeah it's already molly and then now you have this with the market where you get the riding guys in there and it's going to add even more gold you get that policy in and he's going to make a stupid amount of gold he can sit there and buy all the great people not just the great riders that he wants Molly, so they already get, I think, bonus production, bonus gold from mines, and uh, maybe from other things, too. I forget. Uh, yes. That's going to be frustrating for somebody. Oh, hey, I was going to do a culture victory night. Oh, no, it's Mally. And it's not ha-ha-ha-ha Mally, either. No, exactly. <laughs> I really liked fun. it. I liked it when he did that, except for the fact that it was so loud that it hurt my ears, but... Uh... I'm I'm sad that he doesn't do it as much anymore. Yeah, it was amusing for sure. I feel like, you know, you can tone it down a little bit, maybe just have the volume so that it's in line with every other voice line from every other leader. But so this is what I would call an example of a good DLC pack or at least acceptable DLC pack. Maybe we needed more than just uh, one nation other than, you know, Cleopatra. I don't know. Um, do we have any other sub-Saharan African or Saharan African civs in Civ Six? Because then you would have to add another civ, which would be a whole thing beyond the does framework. Ethiopia count? I believe it does. Although, I mean, it's it's it borders the Sahara. <laughs> uh, I, I'm trying to think. Like, could you? Is there? I guess there are other leaders you could give for Ethiopia. Numidia could have one, I guess. Um, Morocco is Morocco in Civ Six. Morocco's not in Civ Six. No, that was Civ Five. Let's see: Algiers, Algeria, Tunisia, Libya. I mean, I guess does also does Carthage uh, or Phoenicia count? Uh, technically, yes. Although they didn't really go that far away from the ocean, so I guess Carthage is modern day Tunisia, except for the fact that it's a different people and a different language and a different culture. But sure. Well, it fits with some of the other implementations of Civs, right? So, hey. I mean, we've got the Romans doubling as modern-day Italy, right? Yeah. And the usual India nonsense. Yeah. And the mess that is China. It's true. There are just not enough civilizations in Africa. In game, not in real life. There's plenty of civilizations <laughs> in Africa. <laughs> I was about to ask that hold up. All right, guys. Redraw the borders. He says there aren't enough... <laughs> I'm talking about historical empires, not modern countries. All right, guys, redraw the borders. 
<laughs> and maybe we have somebody that's not super famous every time and nobody else. Well, they've been they've been doing that bit by bit over the years, so I'm sure we'll it's been see some better exclusive. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are plenty of people in Civ 6 who definitely made their first appearance in a Civ game in Civ 6. Oh, yeah. Civ 6 definitely made an effort in that regard. I mean, just look at like vanilla Civ 6 launching with Scythia instead of going with like the Huns or the Mongols, you know, as the a prototypical uh, horse archer. Although, Civ man, that's rough leaving up the Mongols. Well, they didn't leave them out for very long. They were the free DLC afterward. Yeah, that's true. Wait, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. That was the Aztecs in Civ Six. In, well, they were, uh, Aztec were day one DLC, though. Yeah, they were like the the super deluxe edition DLC. I think. Well, not even. You just had to like pre-order. Oh, that's so, like, like pre-order bonus. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah. I like pre-ordered like an hour or two before or something to get them. Yeah, I remember uh, telling you to do that too. Yeah, because we were in a Discord chat an hour before the game came out. Yeah, you are you are probably the only reason I did that. But yes, <laughs> I well, did that all the same. That that was back when we were still doing ambitious things with the Polycaft group. So, is if yeah, anybody who remembers those days remembers, we did a I want to say a twelve hour stream on the Civ Six release day, and there were like ten to fifteen of us around that day, and we all played in a single multiplayer game, and it actually worked mostly. There yeah. were nine people. Oh, it was way better than the five release. Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> that might be one of the advantages that the uh, the new uh, studio head might bring, because uh, a lot of her experience is on online multiplayer games. So At stable this point, multiplayer though, will probably be a, a very high priority for her. I'm uh, going to be perfectly honest. I don't think that matters at this point, because if they're already in development of the game, and they haven't had it at the forefront since the beginning, it's already too late. Well, again, she was already also the the chief operating officer for, like, the last two years. So, yeah. you know, she's well, been there. I'm pretty sure that, the, that multiplayer has always been a thing they want to do, and I don't understand why they seem to have so much trouble with it other than the game is just so honking complex. But, you know... That might also be because they build their own engine each time they make a new Civ game. And uh, that can cause problems if you're not doing it properly or what. But well, it will certainly make it harder for outside people. It, it makes the netcode harder to do because if you're, if you're using an engine like... Let's go with the big ones. You've got Unreal and Unity. Both Unreal and Unity both have well-established multiplayer coding in them that are built into the into the engine that itself that play that developers don't have to manually code all of the specific packet details whereas if you're using your own, your very own code coded engine you would have to r- figure out manually how to put those things together and then you have to figure out how to make it work with steamworks because it's going to be through steamworks and maybe epic games services if they're evil but like it's not a it's a non-trivial thing networking is among the hardest things you can do in game development especially if you're not using something that has pre-built support for it back to rock paper shotgun i guess 
and we have uh, a community voted uh, 50 favorite strategy games of all time. And I am annoyed that there's a certain game not on the list. But then again, I'm old, so I also understand that. Well, did you notice that which one was number one? Yeah, that's true. I was surprised at number one. I was surprised by how many games older than the last 10 years were on this list. Yeah, that's true. I was a little surprised to see Into the Breach above FTL. and uh, happy to see FTL on the list. I'm still playing that. I do the multiverse mod these days, but uh, a lot of hours in that game for me. For reference, the first game on the list is Total Annihilation at number one, which uh, was released in 1997. And it definitely deserves to be on the list because it's very influential and very impressive for its time. Number one, though, I'm not sure. Yeah, like Warcraft 2 Tides of Darkness made it on the list. I understand why Warcraft 3 did, but man, yeah. Uh, if Warcraft 2 made it, then there's at least some people voting here who are uh, reasonably old <laughs> to yeah. have actually played the game. Uh, that was certainly one of the best in its time. Yeah, But of course, it doesn't didn't age well uh, compared to newer versions both, of craft we also have both starcraft games in the top 10 yeah warcraft 3 is way up there um, age of empires 2 is, is number, number two, two. yeah so, age of empires 2 is still being played competitively today and still has a player base on steam that's fairly large in the mp community today so the fact that it is that old with that being true makes a lot of sense why it's there on the list yeah <laughs> i don't know is number four i'm like wow okay like yeah. you know I I'm really surprised to see Homeworld as far down as it is. I, I would have thought for sure that would be higher up in the list. Homeworld deserves to be in the top 10 just because yeah, of just the fact that innovative it was just because of the fact that it was and arguably still is the best representation of three dimensional RTS combat. Yeah, for sure. And Warcraft also having beat out the old Starcraft. That's impressive. Civ 5 beat Civ 6, which of course, it, it beats did. Civ Four too, which is BS. But whatever, Civ Six beats <laughs> Civ Four as well. Well, every Civ game, mainline Civ game, is on here except for Civ Three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, Beyond Earth also did not make it. Although Alpha Centauri is definitely on the list too. But that's also, I think, pretty low in the list, which is uh, yeah surprising. Yeah. CK Three had quite a showing at uh, number twelve. A number of I Paradox think... games made this list. Uh, Hearts I... of Iron Four, which I don't agree with, even though I like playing it. Yeah, and, I, was uh, Phil, I was about to say Phil's favorite game, Hearts of Iron 4, is uh, right up here. I think it's higher than Alpha Centauri. Yeah. Um, 3 is here. Yeah, yeah. Um, 3 absolutely deserves to be in yes. this list. Yeah, Man and Conquer. Conquers, yeah, right there at number 11. So it's like, yeah, that's much older. And that's like the... Red Alert made it too at 22. Oh, okay. Good, good. Again, good. I wouldn't put Red Alert over Hom 3, but whatever. I mean, this is people voting their favorites, so... I mean, people put they put CK three over Civ six. Like, what? CK, yeah. Crusader Kings three is not mature enough to be as good a game in this list. Why is Stellaris even on this list? It's not really a strategy game. It's mostly a computer bogging simulator. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's the other. Excellent. I didn't realize Stellaris made it. That's interesting. Yeah, I Stellaris is like scrolling number, through. It's number like eight or something like that, isn't it? Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. It's right above Civ, Civ 5, which is Holy ridiculous. Cow. I guess yeah. when I was just reading through that, I pretended it wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't wow. belong there. Okay. Yeah, that seems a little high. Age of Mythology made it in there at 35. What I like about this list is it is because it does include so many of the older games. It's not just focused on what's come out in the last 10 or 15 years. It's stuff that goes all the way back into the 90s. 
so. Yeah. I am disappointed that there are no Warlords games here. I am very disappointed, especially over some of the lower stuff on the list. It's like Warlords 2. I'm sorry. Uh, this I know this is a Civ uh, podcast, but Warlords 2 was a better game than Civ 2, and by a margin, in my opinion. Civ caught up to them and surpassed that as a franchise eventually, but in the 90s, no friggin' way. And Warlords 3 was great. Well, like, I wouldn't put it over Hom 3 on a list like this, but uh, Hom 3 is pretty high on this list, so I think Warlords 3 should be here. But I guess just not enough people played it, which is a shame. Hom is yeah. in the 20s. Yeah. One, one of my favorite old retro strategy games is not on this list, but I'm also under no illusions that it was actually objectively a particularly good strategy game. And that was uh, Star Trek Birth of the Federation. Actually, looking at this list, I don't even see Master of Orion on here at all. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, should be here, too. It is really is Endless Space, too. And that's way down at 49. It's I like- was going to say, Endless Space is better than a lot of the Paradox games on here. Yeah, but this is just a, a favorites vote, not a... So. Uh, greatest of all time type of list, but... Yeah. It is, it is nice to see older things actually getting some, some love for once, instead of just being so hyper-focused on what did i play five minutes ago oh i haven't been able to get into the total war games they look good but man i don't know i guess it's just not my cup of tea but like if i could get past some of the tedium of them the the battles look fun uh i definitely liked shogun too i think that was my favorite of the total war games and the expansions for it were really good as well i think if i were to do it now i'd probably do uh, warhammer it says in the introductory paragraph that with so many mods and expansions coming up in the list, the votes for certain games became quite diluted. I won't, I won't spoil uh, what we had to cut out, but basically we'd have a very different top 10 with StarCraft at number one, followed by Command & Conquer, Civ, Supreme Commander, Age of Empires, XCOM, Total War, and Warcraft. So uh, that paragraph basically says they cheated to get what they wanted. Yeah, okay. That makes a lot more sense. Wait, so you're saying they did not consider mods in the ranking? Well, uh, what it sounds like they did was it was a, a vote where you typed in what you wanted to be, what you thought was the best. So um, if somebody typed in a mod of a game or a specific expansion pack, they may or may not have been counted properly with regard to the game that was on the list. I see. So. Ah. Uh. It sounds like this is a sham list, and I shouldn't have put it on the list of topics. But uh, even sham lists are fun to talk about and say, hey, that's not how this is supposed to work. And also, Dune 2 is on here. I could definitely understand. I I could definitely understand not wanting to put mods in, but I like expansions, like official expansions, like if they listed. Like something I possibly would have put on here would have been Total War Shogun 2 Fall of the Samurai expansion. Because that I was wouldn't, why wouldn't you just merge that? I don't understand. Yeah, like and if if they would not count that towards Shogun 2, that would be really annoying and frustrating. Also, oh, the, like the, if I were to specifically say like Civ 5, but with the two expansions, because Civ 5 vanilla wasn't really all that great. Yeah. Uh, and they would say, okay, well then we're not gonna put Civ 5 on the list. Uh, that would also be disappointing. But also, you know, why is Tiberian Sun not on the list? I don't know, but yeah, Civ Five I think is vanilla is definitely not a top ten strategy game of all time. I don't know if Age of Empires Four makes top fifty in my opinion, but tier two definitely though. 
like for whatever process was used to make this, the fact that two has just been played so much for so long is incredible. Also, the very first comment on this article is, why is Stellaris on this list? It's easily the worst Paradox game ever made. Ooh, I don't know about that. You've got stuff like Imperador and others as well. Imperador wasn't bad. It was just abandoned before it could be good. Well, that kind of sounds like it's bad. Well, it's like Stellaris, if they could fix the performance stuff, seems to be a game that a lot of people uh, enjoy elements of. But it's like it has problems that should prevent it from being really high on a list like this. Well, one of the big questions with Stellaris, though, is how many people actually play it long enough for the performance issues to become a problem. It doesn't take long. I never got past like you know, very far into the game. So I never really had very many performance issues with it, but I also didn't have massive (laughs) empires that occupied, you know, a quarter of the entire galaxy. I would argue though, that 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 game is probably not a top 50 for you. If you did not play it long enough to see all the content. (laughs) Also, there's like a substantial fraction of the content. Sure. But I also very much enjoyed what I was playing at the time, especially once I did get my hands on a Star Trek mod. Yeah, well, here's the big question. Where's Vicky? Oh, man, because that's true. Compared to some of the Paradox games that made it, uh, the fact that Vicky 2 didn't is interesting, even though I did not play Vicky 2 much myself. Neither did I, but I recognize it as a monument to just how uh, complex you can make a game and still have it be fun and and uh, entertaining, even with an economic system that is so totally broken that by the end of the game, everything breaks down to the point where it's almost ridiculous to keep playing. And then we had Victoria 3, which came out recently and uh, forgot to put economics into the game and instead made it a zero-sum supply. Uh, what, what, what would you... What, what, I don't know exactly what to call it, but it's not an economics game at all. Yeah, well, it's not a war game either since you can't even control your units. Nope. So I don't know what you'd call that thing, and but uh, I'd call that thing outside the top 50 for sure. I would call another, it another whizzling. Another questionable omission, uh, and I say questionable because it's in a very fuzzy gray area about whether this actually constitutes a strategy game or not, or whether it's a subgenre of strategy games. Uh, there's no city builders on here. Oh, so yeah. no, uh, no Sim City, yeah. uh, no Banished. Uh, I would yeah. definitely say Banished would qualify as a strategy game uh, for sure. I mean, maybe not City Skylines because that's a lot more in the sandboxy uh, side of City Builders, but some of the older Sim City games could definitely qualify. Yeah, I... their scenarios and such. Because like FTL is a reach too. It's FTL it's like is pure a rogue rogue light, so to speak. I... Yeah, I mean it's in the roguelike and it's the subgenre of roguelike. Yeah, uh, but it definitely is not. It does not fit with things that are turn-based or real-time strategy at all. Like, as an amazing ge- as a game as it is, uh, you are really reaching to put that there. And if you could put that there, you could absolutely put any of the SimCity games. I put SimCity in the city builder category, which is arguably a subclass of strategy or simulation, depending on which side you lean towards. Because yeah. a lot of these games are sort of blends. Like, would you call Dwarf Fortress a strategy game? Because, or like, is Crusader Kings a role-playing game? I mean, it is. People play it that way. It is, it's but it's not an RPG sure. in the te- in the same sense that Skyrim is an RPG or that Final Fantasy is an RPG. 
No, All right, now mean? now we've got to do an alignment chart where you have like <laughs> chaotic chaotic evil is like Call of Duty as a strategy game because you do need strategy to perform effectively. <laughs> so now he can put Call of Duty into this. <laughs> well, see, that's the thing. Uh, there aren't there aren't super strong defined borders for what a strategy game is or isn't. Like if you go yeah. to if you go. Uh, what's the name of that game that's from Russia that's like that's like freelancer but way more in depth and way less pretty uh, Space Ranger 2 I think uh, I've not heard of that I recognize freelancer because I played that for a little bit well it's basically everything freelancer wanted to be and just gave up on the graphics but if you look at the list of genres on uh, Wikipedia let me pull it up real quick but it's it's like, what category do you put this game in? Uh, well, there's also like other fuzzy categories. Like there are RPG games that overlap with strategy, like Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah. Or heck, even even like some of the older um, uh, Fallout games, right? With their tactical hex combat. Okay, it's Space Rangers Two, um, published by uh, Elemental Games. Are developed by Elemental Games and published by One C Company. Uh, this game is is uh, famous for having been removed from the market originally because the developers used the MP3 codec illegally. But let me tell you what the genre is. It is a text adventure, real time strategy, space trading and combat simulator, turn based strategy, shoot 'em up, role playing game, third person shooter. Ugh. And. Uh, they, all of those ter- all of those are accurate to what you can do in the game. I mean, yeah. sounds like sounds like the ultimate video game of all time. Uh, like every genre combined into one. It's available. Space combat is a very yeah, unique experience in gaming compared to other stuff. Well, especially if you like take away the the usual like flying like a plane thing, and you just start using like afterburners to shoot yourself sideways in addition to whatever your current trajectory is. It takes some getting used to. Uh, just to get the controls down for that, to so like to get your intuitions correct for it, because it took me some time working with Freelancer uh, to to fight that way. But if you did, the AI just couldn't freaking hit you. It was incredible. Now this <laughs> it was is hard to wrap your head around it too. Yeah, this was a 2005 game from Russia, and thus the um, English translation is not exactly great, but. Uh, my understanding is this game is is one of those games where not only is it you do what you want in the game, it's also the universe is changing around you. And if you don't do something about the main villains of the game, they will eventually just completely eliminate the whole galaxy and there will just be nothing left for you to go to. Like you go to a place to do a quest and you just find a bunch of broken planets and dead rocks because the the enemy, which are called the, the dominators here, are just destroying everything, and you're supposed to be trying to stop them, and if you don't, well, good luck. <laughs> so it's a game about galactic stakes that actually has stakes. Yeah, and it's got, it has on-the-ground real-time combat, or real-time strategy combat styles. It has times where you're doing a text adventure, like when you're trying to run for president of a certain planet, or if you're doing space battles in space or if you're doing shooting it, it's a it's a hodgepodge of weird stuff and it actually do, doesn't do too badly even though it's from russia 
Um, th- uh, five was from Russia. Hey, Tetris good. is from Russia, and that's arguably the best game ever made. So, <laughs> best game ever made, or most addictive game ever made? That one. I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't consider Tetris to be the best game ever made, but it is definitely very addictive. It depends on what you use to evaluate best. I would say the best game is the one that leaves you with the most reactions. Anyway, I would definitely prefer to see SimCity 4 on this list instead of Stellaris. So. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff I'd swap in and out, but uh, that's not surprising. I, I don't see... think I've ever seen a list where I wouldn't swap a bunch of things out, ultimately. I would personally put in World in Conflict, but that was a very generic game, and I liked it because it was... 1989 World War III instead of um, some other 1960s World War III. And also, it actually has a nuke go off in it, so... And you get to fire it. And yes, it is an RTS. So, uh, we've been going for almost an hour. Should we continue or let the later topics go to the next episode? Ooh, I'm good either way. I think we could probably carry them over to the next episode well i mean none of them are super timely right uh neither of them are going to be like evergreen evergreen but they will last for a while they'll last at least until the ai bomb goes but that's not going to happen for a while you know if that happens i don't know that we'll (laughs) have to worry about it too much so this is the part where the music starts playing yes because this has been episode 417 of polycast i'm makalu and as usual canis albinus and that's where my brain goes blank. It's always the outro, every time. <laughs> Me and team. Raising is the optimal strategy in every game, no exceptions. Mega Bears. I'm going to go do some deep uh, City Skyline strategizing now. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I heard you didn't like the DLCs, the newer ones. Uh, they're all kind of meh. They're all the same idea, just over it's, and over again. Yeah, like if they had lumped all of those into like one massive expansion, it would have been an awesome expansion. But the fact that it's just like one at a time piecemeal is just kind of eh. But they're also, because it's getting more towards more niche um, concepts, like, I mean, how many cities in that game do you build a massive airport in? You know, like not all of them, but every city is going to have like parks and mass transit systems so those expansions that provided those content get a lot of use but massive airports and universities and eh, not so much yeah i uh personally enjoyed the university one but that's because i wish i was in college again when i'm feeling weird which is always yeah none of them are bad it's just the comparison i say is that the the city skylines content bucket is getting very full so every new expansion is just like another drop in that bucket, but it's also a much less substantial drop. I if mean, that makes sense. Can't they just make more buildings and more options for, like, can't we just have a traffic mod that lets us put in roads, that puts in pre-built roads that'll actually help us with our traffic concerns rather than, you know, just give us another thing that we can try to make work with the 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 mapping out system because i don't find that entertaining as much i find it much more interesting to play the game and try to build cities that look futuristic i mean maybe more art packs would be better than just oh it's the same feature with a different coat of paint well and, and i'm i'm still waiting for public beaches to be in the game just like how is that not in the game yet 
Yeah. <laughs> so many of these expansions were a perfect opportunity to add them. They just don't. And I'm like, erg. Well, anyway. it, it might be a problem because sometimes it's hard to do stuff with water in games like that. But anyway, now that we've talked about city skylines, it's time to say goodnight. Civilization 3, 4, 5, Beyond Earth, and 6 sound clips. Copyright Take-Two Interactive. Copyright the polycast at thepolycast.net.